0: From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. On this show, Voices from the Poor People's Campaign, being led by the Reverend William Barber and the Reverend Liz Theo Harris at the U.S. Capitol.
1: Too often in America, when we start talking about racism, it devolves into something about sentimentality. And we wanted to specifically say, when we talk about racism, we're talking about policy.
0: And from voter suppression to mass incarceration to the destruction of immigrant families, people from across the country speak about the links between poverty and systemic racism.
2: We cannot live if we're living in fear of ICE coming and ripping our families apart. I am here because I'm tired of just surviving. I'm here because I deserve to live without fear.
0: All that and more, coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. This week, as May turned to June 2018, it's the third week that the Poor People's Campaign, a call for more revival, has held a series of rallies and acts of civil disobedience at the U.S. Capitol. And these actions and arrests were mirrored in dozens of state capitals across the country, to demand a change in what the campaign calls a distorted moral narrative that is perpetuating systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, and militarism. After headlines, we'll hear voices from the campaign. And this week, eyes turn toward the fallen but not forgotten. First, in Puerto Rico, as the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, came under fire to explain How it apparently vastly undercounted those who died as a result of last year's storm Hurricane Maria. A Harvard study reported that more than 4,600 people died as a result of the storm. Similarly, questions are still unanswered about the fate of more than 1,400 immigrant children that the federal government has lost track of after placing them in foster homes. And this lack of oversight, which began during the Obama administration, is even more alarming because the policy of the Trump administration is to separate immigrant children from their parents at the border. The New York Times reported in April 2018 that 700 children have been taken from their parents at the border since October 2017, and more than 100 of these children were younger than four years old. And continuing to follow up on that massacre of unarmed protesters in Gaza, Barcelona is the largest city to heed the Palestinian civil society call for an end to arms trade and military and security cooperation with Israel. According to BDSMovement.net, on May 25th, the Barcelona City Council called for a comprehensive military embargo on Israel and demanded the Spanish government ensure its implementation. Barcelona is so far the largest city to heed this type of call for an end to such security cooperation and for a boycott similar to the one applied against apartheid in South Africa. The declaration condemns the murder of 110 peaceful Palestinian protesters in the occupied Gaza Strip by Israel's army since March 30th and calls on Israel and Egypt to allow the free movement of Palestinians from Gaza. The City Council of Barcelona calls on the EU and the UN to ensure that Israel complies with the International Convention of the Rights of the Child and releases 400 Palestinian children currently in prison. It also condemns President Trump's decision to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, underlining that the move contradicts international law and UN Security Council resolutions. Now, for more on the crisis in Gaza and other international news, I'm welcoming back on the grounds geopolitical analyst, the author and historian, Professor Gerald Horne. And Gerald, I want to switch things up a little bit this week and first ask you about news here in the U.S. It was reported this week that the FBI had an informant or a spy, however you want to describe him, Stephen Halper, actively maneuvering within the Trump presidential campaign And this is the same man, Halper, who led a team that spied on the campaign of Jimmy Carter and may have manipulated the 1980 race that Carter lost to Ronald Reagan. And certainly none of the left media is supportive of Trump, his administration, or odious policies, but many are still expressing extreme concern over what looks like FBI interference or the real collusion in the 2016 election. So what's your take on this new
3: story? Well, I understand that concern. I mean, one could imagine what would happen if it were to be revealed that the CIA had an informant in the campaign of Bernie Sanders, for example, because they were upset with some of Mr. Sanders' anti-war positions. I'm sure that there would be uh, quite an eruption. Stephen Halper, as you mentioned, is a U.S. national who teaches at Cambridge University, obviously cooperates very closely with British intelligence. Supposedly, he was tasked to query and get to know George Papadopoulos, who, as you know, pleaded guilty. He was a former Trump aide, derided as a coffee man after he pleaded guilty in order to disparage his role in the campaign. And Carter Page, who was higher up. In the campaign and was known to be close to Moscow. Now there have been a number of reactions uh, to this episode. Uh, Jim Clapper, uh, the former head of U.S. intelligence, who now has a book out that he's pushing, has suggested that this was all justifiable because he says that Russia tipped the election to Donald J. Trump, not voter suppression, not ideological backwardness amongst a good deal of the Euro-American population, but. Russian collusion tipped the election to Donald J Trump I think that a story we may want to pursue is that instead of focusing so hotly and intently on Russian intelligence we should be looking at the role of British intelligence because think about it Halper has cooperated with British intelligence Christopher Steele who developed the dossier that has contributed to the investigation of mr. Trump's campaign as a British intelligence agent And we should look more broadly at foreign interference in U.S. elections, even historically, starting with the 1976 election, where we now know that apartheid South Africa intervened aggressively to defeat Iowa U.S. Senator Dick Clark because of his seeking to block CIA aid to South Africans invading Angola, and also California U.S. Senator John Tunney. Uh, I think that we also need to ask, uh, why did, FBI director Jim Comey go public broadcasting his reservations about the emails of Hillary Rodham Clinton and kept so quiet and kept so silent about Donald J. Trump and his alleged ties that were supposedly revealed by both Christopher Steele and by Stephen Halper. And then there's the ultimate irony, which is that you have Paul Robeson in a generation of activists and intellectuals who were hounded mercilessly because of their real and imagined ties to Moscow. And the people who hounded them now are being accused of collaborating with Moscow. The ironies abound.
0: Well, I suppose from where I'm sitting, in in addition to British intelligence, the role of the Saudis and the role of Israel, these roles
3: just go overlooked. Well, you are correct about not only the Saudis and the Israelis, but also the Qataris. Uh, We need to follow the money. And speaking of the Israelis, I know that a particular concern of this audience is what to do about Israeli depredations and violations of human rights in Gaza. And, of course, there's been discussion about taking the Israelis before the International Criminal
0: Court. They actually did take them. They actually did. The Palestinians actually did Uh, make that presentation about a week ago, right?
3: Correct. But it might be useful to try to understand why it is that the ICC focuses so heavily upon leaders from Africa and does not bring George W. Bush or Tony Blair or be more aggressive in pursuing Benjamin Netanyahu in the International Criminal Court. And I think that leads to a more critical examination of Israeli foreign policy What I find curious about Israeli foreign policy is that not only do they have rather good relations with Germany, but also they have rather good relations with Moscow as well. You might recall that just a few days ago, Mr. Netanyahu made his umpteenth trip to uh, Moscow, standing side by side with Vladimir Putin on May 9th as Russia celebrated one of its most important days, which is the victory over fascism day, uh, May 9th, 1945. Israel also has good relations with India, which we mentioned before, not least because of this rather backward mutuality concerning Islam. And similarly, Israel has very good relations with China, not least because Israel has been accused credibly of leaking advanced U.S. military technology to Beijing, something I'm afraid the U.S. press has not covered with the kind of dedication that one could hope for. And because of that that power dynamic, it's going to be rather difficult to pursue Israel aggressively in the ICC at The Hague.
0: Well, then that means that the ICC is in the same basket as the UN. And I guess for a lot of listeners, certainly for me as a producer or host, I'm really kind of frustrated at really talking about these institutions as if they are important. I mean, but where can the people turn? I did last week a long segment with Benjamin Douglas of Jewish Voice for Peace, which is a very active organization in the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement, and a lot of people are feeling that is really the only way at this point to really bring pressure on Israel, to put them in the same category that South Africa was put during the anti-apartheid struggle, because Israel is another apartheid state.
3: Well... I understand the point that you raise, but speaking of apartheid South Africa, remember there was a time in the 1980s that it seemed as if apartheid would never go away, and then by 1994, they had to make a tactical retreat. Likewise, with regard to the U.S. and Vietnam, recall in the late 1960s, it seems like the bombing campaigns would last forever, and by 1975, they were driven out. And I dare say that a similar fate will befall Israeli colonialism.
0: Okay, well, we're definitely trying to keep it on the front burner and not bury it like most of the corporate media has. But anyway, I know that you also have some news out of Italy.
3: Well, we've dealt on this program and on other programs with Brexit. Now we may have to deal with quittally. Uh, That (laughs) is to say, there is... A possibility that Italy will be quitting the European Union. Right now, there's a logjam because the president of that country refuses to approve a sort of left-right populist coalition to form a government that will probably lead. To new elections where the majority of this left-right populist coalition will be strengthened which has a very strong anti-immigrant flavor but one of the reasons why the president did not approve this coalition to form a government is because he says that the finance minister they suggested is hostile to the euro the common European currency and he thinks that there should be an election run on the basis that Italy will withdraw from the euro and possibly the European Union itself Uh, that led to the other day Wall Street tanking because imagine what would happen if Florida voted to exit the US dollar and the United States as well Uh, this move by Italy in terms of this electoral logjam is raising the possibility that the European Union itself will break up, if not the Euro breaking up. Uh, Mr. Trump is not helping things by threatening to issue sanctions, not only against uh, EU steel exporters, but also against uh, German cars and Italian cars and French cars. Uh, There's also a possibility that Britain may make a last ditch maneuver to stay in the euro, at least that's what George Soros, the billionaire, is hoping because he's funding a campaign uh, on that level.
0: Well, we will try to do our best. Like I said, it doesn't seem to be on the radar of most corporate media at all. I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. In Culture and Media, there will be a tour of the Carter G. Woodson Home National Historic Site in Northwest D.C. on Saturday, June 2nd from 2 to 4 p.m. Woodson is hailed as the father of black history. And this tour will be sponsored by Thursday Network and GWUL Young Professionals. That's at 1538 Ninth Street, Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20005. For more information, check the event page on Facebook. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, voices from the Poor People's Campaign, speaking on poverty and systemic racism at the U.S. Capitol. Stay with us.
4: So you think I'm-
5: Democracy, to speak truth to the systemic racism that robs our society of life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice. We decry the racist policies that divide our people, scapegoat our people, and make millions suffer in dignity, poverty, and inequality. We condemn ongoing, proven, acts of racist voter suppression, of racial voting district gerrymandering that undermine our democratic process and hurt the poor and most vulnerable of all races. Voter suppression has a consistent negative impact on our nation's poorest residents. States that rate highest in analysis of voter suppression have higher than average rates of child poverty, a lower than average minimum wage, and are less likely to take actions that benefit our poorer citizens, like expanding Medicare under the ACA. We condemn attacks on immigrants The attack on DACA and TPS, we condemn an immoral wall and border security that separates families and robs community from needed resources for education, living wage jobs, and a good life. States that mistreat immigrants have the highest women in poverty rates, the least environmental protections, laws and legislation that discriminates against LGBTQIA families. And although undocumented immigrants pay $12 billion in taxes, over 65% of Latinx people are poor. 40% of Asians are poor. 60% of blacks are poor. We condemn the mistreatment of indigenous communities the ignoring of the health and water issues, voting rights, abuses, and police of other forms of violence that are plaguing communities, erasing the history of the violence and the genocide that this country was founded on. We find a concentration of injustice, systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, and militarism when we focus in on Native and Indigenous communities. Systemic racism is a sin that could and should be ended. And we are committed to marching into the halls of power demanding an end to racist policies that deprive the poor of our rights. Did you know we have fewer voting rights today than we did 50 years ago? Did you know that 23 states have passed racist voter suppression laws since 2010? Did you know that it is over 1,800 days since the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act? That at least 17 states have voter suppression that has targeted Native American and or Alaskan Native voters? That there are 6 million people whose right to vote has been taken? away from them. That there are 140 million poor and low-income people in this country. That there are 13 states with voter suppression laws that refused to expand Medicaid. That there are 25 states that have laws that have preempted cities from passing minimum wage and living wage laws. That there are 23.4 million black people who are poor and low income in this rich country in the world. That there are 37.6 million Latinx people who are poor and low income in this rich country in the world. That there are 7.8 million Asian people who are poor and low income in this rich country in the world. That there are 66.2 million white people who are poor and low income in this rich country in the world. Did you know that federal spending on immigration, deportation, and border policies is more than $17 billion? And there are people dying because they don't have health care, there are people dying because they don't have housing. There are people that are raising their children with unequal and inequitable schools. Shame.
1: And so, Liz and I, today, as we gather, we said we would never call you together without being clear about what we should know. Did you know? And then what we demand because of what we know—that our concerns are, as Dr. King said, legitimate discontent is rooted in empirical and anecdotal evidence. We are not just out here in the sun for fun. We are here because there are serious immoral attacks on our democracy, but we can turn them around when the people come together. And so because because states that engage in race-based voter suppression also have the highest poverty rates, the greatest resistance to living wages, the greatest resistance to the expansion of health care, the greatest attacks on the LGBT community and our immigrant community, and the greatest attempts to give corporations the right to poison our water and our air, where we treat corporations like people and people like things. Because the people that get elected through racial voter suppression then pass laws that hurt mostly white people, which is why we cannot let people racialize poverty programs. We cannot allow that to happen anymore because neither party, Democrat or Republican, has pushed hard enough on restoring the Voting Rights Act. The Republicans have obstructed, Democrats haven't been clear enough, How do we know? There were 26 presidential debates in 2016, in the primary and in the general election, and there was not one hour or 130 minutes given to the issue of voting rights and restoring the Voting Rights Act. And so because of that, we demand and we are fighting for the immediate full restoration and expansion of the Voting Rights Act with preclearance to end surgical racism and to stop the election of unconstitutionally constituted state legislatures and members of the Congress, the United States House and Senate. We also demand early voting and same-day registration. And if we can be automatically registered for war at 18, we are saying we must be automatically registered to vote at 18. We are calling for multiple days of voting. It makes no sense that in cities like New York and Detroit, they only have one day to vote. We are also calling for an end to the racist gerrymandering that is happening in states. Because we know that many people who are sitting in state houses in Congress would not be there if it was not for racial gerrymandering. We also demand statehood and voting rights and representation for the more than 600,000 people in Washington, D.C. We demand the reversal of state laws that preempt local government from passing minimum wage increases. We demand the removal of emergency financial management positions that are unaccountable to the democratic process. And we demand an end to the racial resegregation of our public schools. We demand an end to the placing of persons on federal benches who have a record of standing against voting rights and a record of voter suppression and a record of racism. We demand a just immigration system. This includes providing a timely citizenship process because immigrants should not work and pay taxes in this country and not have the right to vote and form fusion coalition with brown folk and black folk and white folk. We demand the right to vote for the formerly incarcerated and an end to felony disenfranchisement. We demand sentencing reform. For black, brown, and red, and poor white people, and we demand that any bill that tries to have a first step toward prison reform that does not include a full step toward sentencing reform is a bill that's out of step with where we need to be at this time in our country. We demand that First Nation, Native American, Alaskan Navy, Indigenous people retain their tribal recognition as nations and not races, and and so that they retain their sovereignty as they should have it. We demand living wage jobs and the right to join a union. We demand an end to mass incarceration and the continuing inequalities for black, brown, and poor white people. We demand equality. The equal protection under the law is non-negotiable, regardless of your race, your color, or your sexual orientation. We demand single-payer universal health care, and we demand housing programs that ensure people have a place to call a home, and we demand that the full implementation of fair housing and the prevention of discrimination never be written from the books, even if it's a black man trying to rewrite, take them off the books in the Department of HUD. And so these are our demands. And finally, somebody, Liz, has been going around saying, Reverend Jackson and Rabbi Presner, we are asking for too much. They said you can't build a poor people's movement if you ask for too much. They say that uh, it's all right for Trump to ask for a lot. It's all right for Ryan and McConnell to pass a tax cut bill that asks for a lot. But we as poor people and black people and brown people, we maybe we should ask for one or two things. But, but not for a whole lot. Because they said you all won't stay together if we ask for a whole lot. But I come from a tradition of faith and an understanding of the Constitution that I deserve every right that is placed in the Constitution, and I've never wanted to fight for some of my rights. I want to fight for all of them. All of them. All of them. 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 You know, people that act like we should ask for a smaller goal, I wouldn't have wanted them negotiating for me to get out of slavery. Because they would have decided that a long weekend would be enough. Just three days off, the other day we can be slaves. We'll just accept three days off. But how many of you are not willing to accept anything less than what God demands, our Constitution demands, and our humanity demands? And we remind the people in the legislature what Isaiah said 2,600 years ago, woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their right and make women and children their prey. As long as the poor are being robbed, we're here. As long as the women are being hurt, we're here. As long as the children are being heard, we're here and we're not going anywhere. TOO see- Mike, two speakers. First, because all this land belongs to our indigenous people, former Chairman Winslow of the Apache Nation has come to address us. Then, Reverend Jimmy Hawkins, who was a plaintiff in the case in North Carolina. And then, I want you to rec- recognize and give a warm welcome the original mayor of the Poor, of the poor People's Campaign, Resurrection City, the Reverend Jessica Jackson, who's come to stand with us. Come on, Chairman Winslow.
6: I want to thank you, the Creator, for those who, before these buildings ever were made, were here before them. It's always good to give recognition to the first people. I want to thank everyone across our country and those who are working very hard by committing their time and effort to the Poor People's Campaign. Many blessings to you. If it was a few years ago, I would be standing here telling you I'm representing Indian country and in educating you on all the atrocities that had taken place to our people. But today I say thank you to the creator for allowing me the opportunity to travel overseas as well as as well as across our country and witness all the atrocities from corporate greed and with bad government policies. What was family and a community base is now being replaced by corporate mentality. So what I say to you today You are my family, and family cannot be broken. We had our different struggles at different times, but today we're united as family. So the true healing has begun. From the East Coast, military removal of indigenous people had taken place. The manifest destiny took over the country, and our Mother Earth faced many obstacles, with 90% of our Native Americans being wiped from the face of the Earth. Social illness began. For our people, post-war syndrome, which we still experience today. shortage of housing, major law crimes, infrastructure, elder health, youth care, education. So, many of these things are no different than each and every one of you that struggle every day. The difference with us is the United States holds our tribal land in their trust. We are not able to be what a regular American is and have the same opportunities. Our urgent fight today is water in our sacred and holy lands that are being destroyed by companies and the federal government giving exemptions to foreign companies like Resolution Copper Company in Arizona. Right now, all our nation's resources are being under attack by corporate companies. These remaining places must be saved. In the coming days, Native people will be speaking loud and clear of warnings that we will see as a full attack on the Mother Earth. And holy places, for without water there is no life. That's right. And let us work together as brothers and sisters to keep the blessed gift God gave us alive. Akia, thank Akia. you, everyone.
1: Akia, Akia. Oh. Yes, sir. Yeah. Say that's what, that's what systemic racism looks like. Systemic racism looks like. And that's why we stand. And that's why we
7: stand. Okay. Jimmy Hawkins with the Presbyterian Church, USA, Office of Public Witness. And the Presbyterians in the house? All right. In August of 2015, I testified in federal court in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in a lawsuit, the NAACP, and the U.S. Department of Justice versus Governor Pat McCrory. The church that I pastored at the time, Covenant Presbyterian in Durham, was appointed in that case to overturn the voter suppression, the Election Reform Act, or, or House Bill 589. This law was an intentional effort on the part of North Carolina legislators to disenfranchise voters of color, the poor, young people, those with language barriers, poor communities, those with disabilities, and anyone they considered the other. Now the lawmakers said that voter fraud and the integrity of the system was their motivation, but they would not testify on trial and said their communications were privileged. When reached for comment, Governor Pat McCrory's office had no statement to make but those of us who testified on that day, we had something to say. That this voter suppression law was not to target fraud, but to perpetuate fraud. That its purpose was to create barriers to prevent or discourage people from voting, especially those who are already marginalized and less likely to vote. That's right. That those with the most to lose when they are unable to vote should not have barriers placed before them when they try to vote. Another voice spoke out. The 4th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, they had something to say, That's right. that this law was used to quote, target African Americans with almost surgical precision and that it was unconstitutionally racist and then they overturned it. We here today have something to say, that voting is a right and not a privilege. That incarceration should not strip you of your right to vote. That's right. That your materialism should not determine your political rights. That the voting rights of the poor should be protected by our political leaders and not reduced. And that the most heinous form of voter fraud occurs when legislators justify denying the poor their right to vote by saying that they are protecting the vote. We're asking for a different day today, that voting should be a paid holiday, that early voting sites should be set up throughout this country, ma, that the rights of the poor should be upheld, and that every person in the United States of America should have the right, the access to voting polls wherever they live.
1: That yes, is. sir. Step up, sir. Yes. Say voter suppression, voter suppression is systemic racism. Is systemic racism. You, can't address systemic poverty you can't address
0: systemic poverty without
1: addressing systemic racism. addressing
0: systemic
8: racism.
1: Would y'all welcome the Reverend Jesse L. Jackson? Yes.
9: For Pastor Barbara and Pastor Liz, give both of them a big hand. Would you please give it up? Give it up. Give it up. Jesus did not separate by race, but by character and by behavior. I was hungry, and you fed me, or you didn't. Naked and clothed me, or you didn't. In prison, you visited me, or you did not. Somebody here wants to feed the hungry. That's right. And clothe the naked and set the captive free. We're coming today on the holy ground, ground inhabited by the original people. A building built by the enslaved people. That's right. Occupied twelve and by the oppressors. Well, truth crushed the earth will rise again. Yes, we ain't going nowhere but forward by hope and not backwards by fear. This is not the king's last dream. He said in the last tab meeting, we have achieved the public accommodations. We have the right to vote. Too many people are hungry.
1: That's right.
9: Too many people are hurting. So today we we fight to ban assault weapons. We fight to make lynching a federal crime today. Is so a lynching?
1: Lynch
9: it. Lynching. Lynching. Must be. Must be. A federal. A federal. Crime. crime. We fight today. We fight today. To ban. To ban. Assault weapons. Assault weapons. We fight today. We fight today, to fight today. To save our children. To save our children. And study war. And study war. No more. No more. I close on this note. When I was here in 1968, you hear me often use the expression, "I am somebody." i tell you where it came from. One morning, we had, Dr. King was killed April the 4th. Barbara Kendall was killed June the 5th. We're warning the fact that son Goodman and Cheney were killed and Meg Evers was killed. Our hearts were heavy. Two people had died from hepatitis and others had begun to abandon the camp. White House turned his back on us. I'm looking in the face of most of the women and children. It was raining that morning, Brother Barbara. Uh-huh. And they were looking at me to give them something. I had no money to give them, no bus fare, nothing to give them. I read a book by Howard Thurman some years ago that said, "Jesus and the Disinherited." I looked in their face and said, "If you say, say, if I have nothing,
1: if I have nothing, nothing. no money, no, no money,
9: no gold, no gold, no silver, no silver,' where there's life, where there's life, there's hope, there's hope, where there's hope,
1: where there's, there's hope, there's infinite, infinite, there's infinite
9: possibility, possibility. When I stand, when I stand, naked." naked with my back with my back against the wall against the wall i am i am somebody somebody i am i am god's child God's child. i may be poor i may be poor but i am but i am somebody somebody i may be unskilled maybe unskilled but i am but i am somebody somebody red and, red and yellow red and yellow brown black and white brown black and white we're all precious we're all precious in god's
1: sight, in god's sight. We, are we are god's children come on give it up and we want you to know grab his hand Liz. We want you to know that we will not play the false dichotomy game. It is not the old against the young. It is not the middle-aged against the millennial. It is not the black against the white or the Jew against the Muslim or the Christian against the Hindu or the black against the Latino. It is not the gay against the straight. It's not the white against the red. It's everybody that believes in justice standing together. And we are one together. And to prove that at this time, we have someone for Fight for Fifteen. Nick Smith. Nick Smith he's gonna talk about racism because he says, I can't just let my black brothers and sisters talk about racism. Right. Folk right. got to understand how racism, systemic racism, undermines
10: living wages. Right. Come on, brother Nick. All right. All right. All right. There's war going on in this country. There's a war against the poor. We see this on the east coast, we see this on the west coast, we see this in the most populous of cities, we see this in the most remote of rural areas, including central Appalachia, where I'm from. Poverty, we gotta understand, is not a choice. We're not poor because we're lazy. We're not poor because of some moral failure in our work ethic. Someone working two and three jobs sometimes four jobs trying to take care of their children because they can't get full-time hours at work, or people that work full-time and are still poor, I wouldn't call them lazy. We are poor because people out there in that Capitol building, people in that White House, people in Capitol buildings and state houses all across this country have made the choices. They have been elected in a corrupt, corrupt electoral system electoral system based off of money, a system based off of greed and not addressing need. Yeah. And this isn't just at the top 1%, really, the only way we solve this system is coming together. Now how do we keep this system up? Racism is the glue that holds this corrupt system together. Teach me. Teach me. Voter suppression keeps this system together. That's right. That's right. We have less voting rights today than we did in 1965. Twenty-three states have passed voter suppression laws, including my own state. Yes, sir. These laws affect the poor, the people that are most likely to want to change the system, That's right. predominantly black and brown, but also white. Yeah. This country is 75% white, and 40% of people in poverty in this country are white, Now that tells me two things. One, that whites are disproportionately not poor, that racism still exists, and two, Strangely enough that the largest group of poor people in this country are white. So that's almost half of poor people in this country standing against the other over slightly over half because of racism. Because we are taught lies. We are taught the lies that our black and brown brothers and sisters are poor because of their choices. Because they are lazy or lack moral character in their work ethic. And we're taught that when we don't have things, it's because of them depriving it of us. And when we do have things, it's because we work for it. And we know that's not true on either account.
1: Yes, sir.
10: I know a lot of y'all going to look at me as some kind of piece of white trash, as a hillbilly, some kind of backwards redneck, and so be it. I got nothing to hide. I'm from where I'm from. That's right. I'm poor. I'm white. I'm here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And this hillbilly is joining other poor people of all colors, black, brown, red, yellow, all sexualities, all religions, coming here together to join poor people's campaign a national call for moral revival. Our backs are against the wall, and we got no choice but to push.
1: What's up? No, choice, no, choice, no choice but to push. But to push. No, no, charge, no choice but to push. But to push. No, no, charge, no choice but to push. but to push. I think we got a new rally cry.
4: Keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. I've got to keep on pushing. Mm. I can't stop now Move up a little higher Some way or somehow Cause I've got my strength and it Don't make sense not to keep on pushing Now maybe someday, mm, I'll reach that higher goal I know I can make it With just a little bit of soul Cause I've got my strength
1: Now we have Sister Kenya Al Corsair Corsair who's coming. We have Anish Jenkins who's coming to talk about DC statehood. We have Kania Alsa who's coming. And then the final speaker, and we want to go very deep into our spiritual presence, is someone connected to Swanner, Cheney, and Goodman. This movement is important. And on the 21st, when we end the last Thursday, that will be the anniversary of the death, the murder of Swanna Chaining Goodman. Today, our focus is on the connection between domestic systemic racism and poverty. And we're together. They said we wouldn't be together. I've learned to be in coalition with people. I may not agree with everything, but I agree more with them than I do with the oppressor. Amen. Amen. And so we have these two. So come on, come on, sister. Where is she? Give her a big hand. She comes here today, undocumented, but no longer afraid and coming out.
2: Hello, my name is Kenya Alcocer. I am undocumented, an immigrant from Los Angeles, California, and a co chair of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for more revival in California. My story and my struggles are not my own. It is shared with my community, with Union de Vecinos that continues to fight against displacement and gentrification, with Immigrant Youth Coalition and the California Immigrant Youth Justice Alliance that taught me how to be brave and fearless in pushing back against deportations and yelling out of our lungs, all of us are none of us. Families in Maywood had fight every day against environmental injustices, whether it's lead poisoning or water contamination. Now, I have a bigger family. The Poor People's Campaign, a national call for more revival.
1: That's it.
2: That have revived my faith and my hope. You see, Poverty, systemic racism, ecological devastation, the war economy, and the distorted moral narrative is something that my community and I know too well. That's right. That's right. We live it every day through gentrification, displacement, disinvestment, evictions, deportations, discriminations, sickness, and even in death. That's right. I am here today because... My community can no longer fight for this piece of plastic, for a piece of paper, because we are not living anymore. This has only allowed us to survive, not to live. For we cannot live if we're living in fear of ice coming and ripping our families apart. We cannot live while knowing that there are citizens that are being shot and killed by cops, And it is impunitive. I am here because I'm tired of just surviving. I'm here because I deserve to live without fear. I stand here today in solidarity with all of the immigrants in the world, from Syria to Palestine to the Central American brothers and sisters that came to Mexico asking for refuge. And they are coming, searching for survival, and they deserve Better than that, they deserve to live in peace. Today, I'm engaging in moral fusion direct action because I'm not just risking arrest or deportation. Today, I'm breaking my chains. Today, I gain my humanity, my dignity. Today, I assert that we have the right to live.
1: Yes, and when she goes in, who will who we need some clergy to link arms with her and Liz, and to say, "You take her, you have to take us. We stand with you." All right,
8: free DC statehood now. I remember that my cousins used to show me and my sister off in Asheville, North Carolina and brag They from D.C. I used to be proud that I was from the nation's capital, but now I'm woke. I'm woke. I realize we're not true citizens of this country. We have 700,000 people who live in Washington, D.C. who have no voting representation in either the House or the Senate. Shame on them! This is not a full and true democracy in the United States of America. We are going to fight back. We ask you that you go, when you go into the side of the Capitol, you go inside and tell them we want statehood. We want to stop the voter suppression of those 700,000 people. That's right, that's right. I remember that they control our budget. They control every bit, every penny that we spend. I saw two of my friends die of HIV AIDS because they would not let us pay for our own needle exchange program. They would not let us release the votes for our successful marijuana, medical marijuana initiative. Those people died because we don't have statehood. Well, we're going to get statehood and we're going to demand it. Yeah. It's a right, and we are so proud to have the people's yeah. campaign. The people's campaign support us. Free DC! Free DC!
1: Free DC. Free DC.
8: Statehood Free DC.
0: Now, Free
1: DC. would you welcome David Goodman in his own way? He will share with you his lineage.
11: La Guerra Cantas. Los pobres es inmoral, and it's connected to voting. I'd like to share with you a comment from a family that's had a lot of experience with the history of our country. My name is David Goodman. I'm the president of the Andrew Goodman Foundation. And I'd like to thank you, Reverend Barber, and all the people here who've organized today in protecting our democracy. The issue of racist voter suppression propagated by extremist legislatures... Is plaguing our nation again. It is a disease not just to the past, but still damaging our beloved country and the democracy we hold dear. Next month, as Reverend Barber said, will mark the 54th anniversary of the day my brother Andrew Goodman was murdered along with his co-civil rights workers James Cheney and Michael Schwerner. In 1964, poll taxes, literary tests, and widespread intimidation and terrorism across this country, particularly in the Southeast, prevented African-Americans from participating in our democracy. The Ku Klux Klan murdered my brother for trying to ensure that democracy works for all people, not just whites, and here we are again dealing with the same issue in different contexts, but it's the same intention. My brother's disappearance and his murder helped along with people like Jesse, And all the people who marched from Selma, Montgomery, including my elder brother, John Lewis, who at the time was the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, who my brother volunteered for. That law, the Voting Rights Act, was passed. Many of the racist practices that whites had relied on disappeared 100 years after the Civil War. But these protections, almost 50 years later in 2013, I think the Supreme Court is over there, was gutted by the Supreme Court majority. These new laws that have been passed have been permissible or enabled because of the gutting of the Civil Rights Act. The Andrew Goodman Foundation, we know that youth of this nation will not stand for such outrageous civil violations. And we are working to eliminate the people from the office, which means everybody has to vote. The struggle for which my brother died for is not over. I call on all of you, democracy workers and the poor people's campaign, to stand with us and all of us to have a national moral revival in the fight against voter suppression until every vote counts. America cannot fulfill its promise of freedom and equality for all. Thank you. Yes sir.
0: You have been listening to voices from a rally of the Poor People's Campaign at the U.S. Capitol on May 21st, 2018. I want to thank again Gerald Horn for joining me. The music we played this hour included Janelle Monáe, Cold War, Dem Atlas, What About?, and Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, Keep On Pushing. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the nation's Capitol on Pacifica Radio. You can reach us and listen to complete versions of our shows on our website, onthegroundshow.org. Do me a favor. If you're on Facebook, please like our page on the ground show on Facebook, which just blocked our ad promoting our show about the BDS movement, saying that we're not authorized to run, quote unquote, political ads. Hmm. The last time I checked, there is a difference between what is political and what is human rights. And since when does Facebook tell journalists what we can and cannot write about and promote? Hmm. Anyway, On the Ground Show is also on Twitter and on iTunes. I'm Esther Aviram. Until next week, keep raising your voice. Peace.